Welcome to Honest Money, your best guide to financial freedom. I'm Warren Ingram, the author of a few best-selling books, and I'm also an award-winning financial planner, and I've helped thousands of people on their journey to financial freedom. I'm not here to tell you what to do, but I am here to share my experience and the best ideas that I've learned, and I hope these ideas help you on your journey to financial freedom. Honest Money is proudly sponsored by Outsurance. Saving on your car insurance can start by SMSing CAR to 30165. If Outsurance can't beat your current premium, you can ask them to give you 500 Rand. And if you've been claim free and with the same insurer for three years or more, ask them for 1,500 Rand. Whether it's a saving or possible cash in your pocket, you always get something out. And that's the honest truth. Outsurance is a licensed insurer and FSP. T's and C's apply. 50 cents per SMS. Welcome to another episode of Honest Money. I'm really um, thrilled today to have Yolanda Buerta with us, one of South Africa's best wealth managers. Yolanda, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Warren. It's always nice to chat to you. So we've been talking a lot uh, about building up money and how, how to save, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so, so today uh, you, uh, you said we need to chat about, about a bit of a different topic. Do you want to tell us a bit more? Yeah, I thought um, just to talk a little bit more about financial freedom. Um, um, and, you know, we know how to get there. And you're talking about it quite a bit. And people have such a different view of what that is. But once you get to this milestone, you reach it. How do you go about um, drawing an income from the investments that you have made? All righty, that's a, that's a nice topic. So, so once we've hit it, once we've made it and we've arrived, uh, how do we actually live off the capital that we've, we've managed to accumulate? Yeah, that financial freedom must give you the freedom, right? So how does that work? <laughs> So, so I think the first thing uh, that, that, that one needs to focus on when you start with, with this is you, you're going to get to a number and, and let's just say, you know, um, to, to make the number simple, you, you've got your million rand and that's enough money for you to, to reach financial freedom. The, the, then the question is how to, how to actually invest that million rand. And I think the critical principle that people need to focus on here is, is the diversification of the assets. To, to me, it's easily the most important thing that they need to get right. And, and diversification of assets is, is not just one thing. In other words, it's not just saying, okay, I take all my money and I invest it only in property uh, or I invest it only in a share. You know, I go and buy my, my, um, my Apple shares or I go and buy Bitcoin or something. It's a case of saying you take that money and you, you spread it across a range of different kinds of assets. So you, you need to make sure that you've got exposure to shares because that's your great risk uh, asset. In other words, that's the asset that should, over time, grow your money faster than inflation. But unfortunately, it's too risky and too volatile to have all of your money in shares, which means you also need to have some in cash. And, and unfortunately, cash might not have any volatility. It might be there and you might be earning interest every, every day and every week and every month, but it will never allow you to beat inflation. So, so you've got to get a balance between cash and between shares and, and then some government bonds and maybe some property companies as well. So it's making sure that you've got the right spread of assets. And I, th- and I think the mistake people often make when they get to their financial freedom time is that they are too uh, risk averse. They're too conservative with their money. So they, they say, I've worked really hard to get to this, uh, th- this number. I've got my billion rand. And then the, they, they invest the bulk of it in cash. And, and yes, and maybe to jump in there, I think people before retirement always wants to go to cash, but they forget that there's another 40 years. I mean, if you 
are investing till your age 100 and say you're financially free at 50, that's another 50 years of investing. Exactly right. You know, I think, and that's the you know that, that's the real danger. So you feel safe. You feel that 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 everything is okay. Your bank statement showing you that everything's going up day after day, and you laugh at the people that are stressing about stock markets rising and falling and all of those things. The problem is that you you don't see on your statements the the cost of of your living going up every day and every month and every year. And I think that's really the big the big issue is that you know inflation just runs much faster than, than, than any interest can can uh, can. So that's really the big issue. So I think for me diversification I think is a is a critical point. I think the second thing is also just uh, geographical diversification. So when you invest your money, don't put it all into one country. Uh, I saw uh, re- recently. Um, you know, there's a new exchange traded fund that only invests in China. Now, you might want to have a little bit of your money in China. That makes sense, you know, especially if you want to get an exposure to the growing economy with companies that look totally different to South Africa. But that doesn't mean you put all your money in China. And it's exactly the same reason that you wouldn't put all your money into South Africa. So, so I think that it's getting that spread of, of, of geography right as well. And I think for a lot of people, when you get to that financial freedom, it's actually a case of saying – you know, maybe have around half your money invested globally and then half of your money invested in the country where you're going to spend your money. So, so if you're going to spend your money in rands, if you're going to live in South Africa, then having half your money in rands makes sense. Uh, but, but then the other half definitely needs to be globally invested. So Warren, say that your um, investment in South Africa isn't enough to cover all your expenses. So you've got 50% in South Africa and 50% offshore. How do you go about then... Um, uh, drawing that money? I, I think it, 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 sh- it should certainly be part of your strategy to, to make sure that you draw from your international assets as well. So, so you can be quite practical about it and say, well, uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to take, let's say every six months, I'm going to take a portion of my international money, bring it back to South Africa and, and then store that in, in a money market account and then use that alongside my South African assets to, to pay out the, 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 um, the income that I need on a, on a monthly basis. Or, you know, if, uh, if, you, if you want to use a, a different vehicle, for example, you might want to use a RAND-based overseas unit trust. They're, they're called feeder funds. Ter- terrible name. But, but basically what that means is that you, that you invest um, internationally, but, but with a unit trust in South Africa, and that unit trust, the only thing it buys is an international portfolio. So, so I think that, you know, that's a much easier way if you want to draw an income monthly because you can actually just get the unit trust to pay out an automated withdrawal every single month and it becomes like a bit of a, almost like a salary that you can draw out. So, so I think that there are lot, there's lots of flexibility there. And I think, you know, I wouldn't get too fixated on, um, on the mechanics of this because I think a lot of the time people look at this and they go, oh no, that's far too complicated. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to keep all my money in South Africa because I don't know how to draw it out. And actually, the, the point is, you've got lots of options. So, so, so don't, don't avoid the diversification because, you, because it seems a bit complicated or scary. It's, if I can understand it, I'm sure anybody can. <laughs> True. <laughs> so um, maybe is there a rule of thumb then on how to draw your capital, maybe amounts and so forth? Yeah. Yeah, I like um, I, I like the the four percent to five percent rule. You know, so in other words, uh, if you if you've got a million rand, then, then make sure that you don't draw more than four to five percent of that million rand every year, as as a as a way to cover your expenses. So if your expenses are more than that, you, you don't you haven't reached financial freedom because you mustn't draw more than that when you're starting out, and that's especially true when you're very young because if you know if you hit financial freedom. Uh, you know, let's say at age 50, then, then, then as you said, you know, you might have 50 years of life. And, and so you can't be drawing 
eight or nine or ten percent a year because investments don't necessarily grow at eight or nine or ten percent a year. And so what will happen is you'll guarantee that you will that you will destroy the, the value of your money and eventually it'll go to zero uh, later in your life. So so I think when you when you are young, the younger you are, try and aim to have uh, to have four percent to draw four percent of your money uh, every year. And and a simple way to do that is to say take your annual expenses. So what do you spend when you're taking into account transport, cars, holidays? Um, you know, whatever it is, food, uh, rent or, or service or maintenance of your property, whatever it is, and you take all of that in a year and you times that by 25. That, that, that's really the, the, the amount that you need to, to live on for your financial freedom target. That's the 4% rule. And, and if you believe in the 5% rule, then you take your annual expenses and you multiply it by 20. So, so to me, I think that that's a really nice rule of thumb for, for anybody to follow. You don't have to worry too much about tax in that kind of a calculation because I'm not saying you mustn't pay tax, you definitely have to, but when you're doing this rule of thumb calculation, that 45% rule is a very nice uh, kind of overall rule that helps you to, to figure these things out. Yeah, maybe just to add to that, that, that 4% is the starting um, withdrawal rate because people do get to the age of 80 and they're still on 4% which means that they're actually going backwards and they haven't increased their um, income at all. They're actually just keeping pace. So at some point, that, that number becomes bigger, but not too early. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a nice one. You know, somewhere around age 75, you can then say, right, you know, if I've been running at 4 or 5% uh, a, a year at age 75, maybe I push it up to, to 6%. Uh, and and so you go, and by age 85, you know you can push it up to eight percent a year, maybe. You know, it it will certainly depend on your health and and the longevity of your of your family and and what's happened before you. Uh, you know, if your ancestors lived to 100, then maybe you want to be a bit more careful. But if everyone died at 80 and you you're at 85, maybe maybe you can push your percentage up to eight or nine percent a year. Yeah. And then maybe just to get back to the markets, you know, when markets are volatile like they are now. Most investors want to change their investments to cash, maybe, or a lower risk investment. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's, it's such a, a, a fundamental mistake that a lot of investors make, and it's not. It's not. Um, it's easy to criticise when when you look back and you say, "Well, they should never have moved out of shares and gone into cash," because look at the stock market did after that. But you know, if if we think about the the beginning of the whole COVID crisis, you know, at, at, in February twenty twenty. Uh, you know, it was a really crazy time, you know, and there was sort of projections that the world would fundamentally change and that this thing might, you know, affect, uh, you know, tens of millions of people would die, you know, in a very short space of time. And if you were in that point of financial freedom where you had enough investments, but, but you were reading all this stuff and listening to podcasts forecasting the end of the world, then it would have been hugely tempting to, to, to cash out your shares, move it all to cash or buy gold or do something just to try and protect yourself against the collapse of a whole world system. And I think that that, that, that sort of psychology is, is particularly scary when, you, when, you don't, when you're not working anymore and you are living off your capital. And, and really, you need to be really aware of that to say to yourself, no, you know, uh, the, the world's been forecast to end hundreds of times over, over the last two, 300 years, and it hasn't yet. So, so what we need to know is the likelihood that the world ends is quite small, actually. And, and whether that's the financial system or the global political system or whatever it is, you know, there's always a reason to be afraid, but, but it's amazing how markets continue and how businesses uh, that you might own via your index or your share portfolio, your unit trust or whatever it is, how those business, businesses continue to operate. So, so don't get too fixated on, on, on the, this kind of doomsday scenarios and then, and then you make this decision to, to go to cash. The, the problem with cash is that, uh, that, that when you're sitting there, you feel okay, 
But when the markets recover, they recover really quickly. And, and, and sometimes you can see the markets recover all of their losses in two or three months. And it's far too quick for an investor who's, who's gone out of shares into cash to then go from cash back into, into shares again, because there isn't a signal, there isn't a, a media headline that says, you know, you know, on Twitter, like, this is the day to buy. You know, there isn't someone standing out there with a crystal ball that, that, that will tell you that. So what will happen is you'll be sitting there with cash waiting for things to get better. Uh, and so that means you're going to be watching the news and, and, and seeing your, your, the, the, the news flow on your, on your social media accounts, listening to these kinds of podcasts and, and bloggers and et cetera, et cetera, waiting for more and more people to kind of say, okay, we think the worst is behind us. By the time enough people believe that, that, that it gives you the confidence that the worst is behind, behind us, the, the, the likelihood is the stock market's already recovered. And now what's happening is you've sold out of, out of shares at a low level and you've had to buy in again at a high level. And so what you've done is you've locked in losses that you never needed to take. So, so I think the real secret, when you, when you get to this financial freedom stage and you've got the right mix of assets, the next most important decision you make is you stay in that mix of assets. So if, you, if, you, if it comes to the point where you need 65% in shares, which I think is a good level for people with, with, with that financial freedom target, then it should always be 65% in shares. So if the market collapses on you, don't sell out and go to cash, you just wait, let the market recover, it will take you back to your 65% again. If you were lucky enough to be in the tech sector in America and, and you, you, know, you, you were riding it in 2018, 2019, in the beginning of 2020, and the tech sector was booming and it was taking you over your 65%, let's say you suddenly were sitting at 90% in shares, then maybe you needed to sell out of some of your shares just to take some profits to get back to your 65% level. So, so that would be the time that I'd be thinking about selling shares. Uh, and if the market collapses on you and you had 65 and you're now at it's at 20% in shares, then maybe I would take some of my cash to buy in shares again to get back to my 65% level. But definitely I wouldn't be buying and selling because of what I suspect the markets are going to do in the next year or two or three. The answer is none of us can actually understand what the markets are going to do in the next year or two or three. So don't, don't try and make predictions because you are guaranteed to be wrong. If you're right, it just means you flipped a coin and you were lucky. Right, so then for me, just to... Recap, it's, it's get your strategy correct. Know what your asset allocation is. Stick to that and make sure that you only need to draw 4% from those assets to live. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, the, the, the other point there is just we, we, we would focus a lot if, if, if we get to that financial freedom stage on making sure we can see the income that we're going to generate. So a lot of the time when I talk to people who've reached financial freedom, they, they love to buy, for example, a buy to let property because they know that they're going to get rent every month uh, and, and they can see the income that's going to come in and they can, you know, they can talk to the, the tenant if the tenant's not paying and they can drive to the property if they want to. And I'm not saying that that's a terrible idea, but that shouldn't be your sole asset. You know? So focusing just on, on an income generating asset uh, is really dangerous because actually the one thing that the COVID crisis taught us is a lot of people were, were, were kicked out of their, their work and had no jobs in a very short space of time, which meant that they couldn't pay rent. And if you were living off the, off the rent from your property and suddenly your tenant was kicked out of, out of their job, that means that you don't have a, an income anymore. So that, that spread of assets is really important and, and make sure you always have that spread and, and, and stay focused on that. And, and then, you know, as, as you said, stay disciplined in your asset mix. That, that will be the reason why your financial freedom uh, life is really comfortable if you get that wrong, that will be why you might have to end up working again or, or completely changing your lifestyle. So, so not to create fear. We don't, we don't want to get everyone afraid of this. It just, you know, protect yourself against your own emotions is really the, the, the bottom line here. 
and, and the best way to do that is, is the strategy that we discussed now. Warren, thank you. That was fantastic. Um, and it's always good to chat to you. Thank you very much. It's a, it's a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show and for putting me in the firing squad there. It was, it was uh, nerve-wracking, but I'm, but I'm glad we covered it and, and we look forward to having you again. Thank you, Warren. Thank you for listening to Honest Money. If you have any questions, you're welcome to reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is at Warren Ingram. Don't forget to subscribe. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Chat soon. Honest Money is proudly sponsored by Outsurance. Saving on your car insurance can start by SMSing CAR to 30165. If Outsurance can't beat your current premium, you can ask them to give you 500 Rand. And if you've been claim free and with the same insurer for three years or more, ask them for 1,500 Rand. Whether it's a saving or possible cash in your pocket, you always get something out. And that's the honest truth. Outsurance is a licensed insurer and FSP. T's and C's apply. 50 cents per SMS.